Welcome to the Intercut Podcast, the weekly show going over the TV, movies, and entertainment that people can't cut away from. I am your co-host, Zachary Shevich, and joining me, he plays the Sicilian opening, it's Arturo Zurita. What's up, Zach? I hope your butt has been just as comfortable in the couch seats as it's been in all of the theater seats that we usually would be, going up and down and Some stuff. might say more comfortable. Too comfortable, some may say, but... um. We had gotten a new a new little thing this time around. You know, last time we were talking about the stuff that Netflix sends us. Now it's Amazon. They're mm-hmm. all going to be competing Ooh. for us. I can't wait for the movie stuff. I can't wait for the Criterion stuff. Uh, but this time <laughs> around, Amazon's doing this thing with Blumhouse. I was able to catch one of these, speaking of festivals, at TIFF a couple years ago. But they sent us this, like, a thousand-piece puzzle. I'm a sucker for puzzles. I absolutely <laughs> love puzzles. It's a great quarantine quarantine time activity. Exactly. I'm still doing it. So <laughs> uh, the funniest thing about it, though, is that out of all the four movies... The puzzle's better than, like, three of them, so uh, <laughs> I guess that's a good thing, you know? I'm glad that they sent yeah. it over, because at least it's been... I- I've gotten more hours of value with the puzzle yeah. than some of the films, but... Um, Pretty low bar to clear there. A little bit, but hey, I mean, yeah. it, it cleared enough that they're going to do a second round. I know this was Blumhouse doing uh, four movies from first-time directors. They weren't really first-time hmm. directors. Um and now they're going to do another set, another four movies, which business-wise, you know, we always talk about this. Yeah, Blumhouse has yeah. always been ahead. He's had a, a whole different studio, Blumhouse Tilt, mm-hmm. uh, to release stuff virtually. Now it's uh, it's going to be another four. So anytime he yeah. has four little straggler movies that he doesn't know if they'll do well in theaters, welcome to Blumhouse, I guess. That's how he welcomes you. Yeah. Jason Blum always finding ways to to get directors paid for cheap horror movies, I guess. Innovative. Uh, whether that's Amazon or Hulu's got that whole series with Blumhouse too. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, he's a major name in horror for a reason. As we are approaching, or we're around Halloween now, so we're maybe not, you've been yeah. watching some Blumhouse movies. We have been watching a lot of film festival movies because the virtual fall film festival season has commenced and many film festivals have already started and ended, which has given us a chance to get the indie movie experience we normally get from traveling right from the comfort of our homes, which has been great. Mm -hmm. You get to see a lot of really interesting movies that I think we, at some point this year, thought, like, wasn't going to be the case, like... Were any of these festivals even going to happen? But I feel like the earlier in the year festivals struggling to figure out how to adapt. We talked about South by doing that weird team up with Amazon that didn't quite go as as well as it could Mm -hmm. have. The fall festivals have really learned from that and taken the right lessons and made programming that's interesting and easy to access for the most part. It's been really exciting. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. My shins really enjoy it from not having to go up and down from all the theaters. Uh, no, but it's really cool because it's like now you can access some stuff from, you know, we're going to be talking about Chicago today, but some stuff was mm-hmm. playing at New Fest. So if it sold out one place, I mean, the capacity is really just your house. So it's like try to mm-hmm. find it somewhere else. And I know like we did a, a back and forth of like who's playing one night at Miami. And we were just trying to hunt it down on the virtual <laughs> yeah. fest. But they've all done really cool things in where they do a scheduling thing. I know some may not be the biggest fan of the scheduling thing. <laughs> Viewing windows are a little bit tricky. I suggest you read the fine print before you buy your ticket to rewatch Black Bear. But it's really cool because it's almost like you're still. I mean, you know, this looks familiar. This looks like our Sundance stuff. You know, this is my right. Philly, my Philly Fest one, and it's like you're crossing out, trying to make sure, okay, what what's going to be possible? What's what are you going to have in your time frame? And it almost builds a schedule for you because if not. You know, once you get into the on-demand stuff, you're aimlessly just watching as many movies as you can in a day. But mm-hmm. I think it's been really cool. Mm-hmm. They've done some um, 
kind of like meetups that they've done. Every festival's done something a little bit different. Chicago did like mm-hmm. recipes to go in accordance to the movies. Some people had like uh, like group chats that you would go in and virtually speak to. Obviously, it doesn't replace. You know, just having a diet of popcorn, which you could yeah. still have at home. But no, <laughs> Nothing's really quite like that in-person experience. Yeah, for sure. But, but it's still hey, fun. and It's been fun. Uh, yeah. Appreciate it. Uh, like you said, half the fun sometimes is just tracking down which fests are playing what movies and mm-hmm. where can you see stuff. And hopefully some of the Intercut viewers and Intercuties are, are doing that as well. If not, there are still some festivals on the horizon. And all these movies that we're going to be talking about today are stuff that should be on the horizon at least, you know, it may be a a month or two from now, maybe longer than that. But Mm -hmm. uh, like our Sundance episode, like our other Film Fest episodes, we want to give you a little bit of a preview of what's out there, what's worth keeping an eye on, maybe some some movies to keep in the back of your brain until they're more readily available, unless you're lucky and can do one of these virtual film festivals, which, you know, with a VPN, you can just be about anywhere. Yes, sir. Maybe not. Uh, maybe not Memphis, but maybe not Memphis, anywhere. but <laughs> almost. <laughs> in a little bit, we're going to talk about New Fest and Chicago International Film Festival. But first, make sure you subscribe to the Intercut Podcast, either the video podcast on YouTube.com/slash/IntercutPod or the audio version available on most podcatchers. Also, follow Intercut on social media, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We are at IntercutPod. That's at Intercut P O D. That's short for podcast. Art. Let's start the show. We started the way we started every week here with what we are watching. But let's uh, start it off with New Fest. What have you seen from New York's New Fest, a celebration of LGBTQ film and media? Uh, really interesting festival. What What's the highlight you think so far? Or Shiva Baby. Your, Shiva yeah. Baby. Between Shiva Baby and Minaria, which I never thought I would say. Um, <laughs> Minaria was a top one back at Sundance. Every festival that it's played, if I get the chance to rewatch it, I know I'm, it's just going to be at the top of that festival. Shiva Baby is right up there as well. The movie that mm. uh, should have premiered at South by Southwest. I'm not sure like how many people were able to get screeners with the uh, uh, right. you know, the way that they adapted that. But I was able to catch it at News Fest. And wow. Uh, it's played at a couple of other festivals. Uh, absolutely loved this movie, if you want to break it down. Yeah, so uh, Shiva Baby is about a college student, Danielle, played by Rachel Sennett, who uh, attends a Jewish funeral, a Shiva, with her parents and with some other extended family members and uh, people they know. And things quickly become awkward, confined to this small house with all these people who she's had uh, different sorts of interactions with, including her sugar daddy, who uh, happens to be attending the same Shiva. Uh, and I think this one's got a really interesting energy, just the, the claustrophobia of this movie and the, the uncomfortable conversations that she's constantly having to navigate through. It's a really finely observed movie in just the, the way that those terrible conversations with family that you see once a year ago, the, all the repeated questions like, mm-hmm. are you dating a boy right now? How, how's the job search going? What are you going to do after college? College Why that, are you so uh, thin? It's always is, it, is inevitably like the the frustrating parts of seeing these types of people uh, made that much more awkward when you have all these other entanglements around the house. L- literally entanglements. Um, I, <laughs> I loved the script. I liked the energy to it. The the casting was fantastic. Um, 
just the way that they hit you with so much dialogue. Like you said, it's not just the storylines that you have to keep up with on what's the type of relationship that she has with this person right here and uh, how much does that person know. But you have all of these different things that are going on, kind of like uncut gems, but without all that that extra tension that he was going through. Um, mm-hmm. It's still from the same type of like, you know, there, there'll be a conversation happening overhead while she's trying to get something else done over here. And it's just buzzing in the background. So you're able to follow along with like different things that are happening just like it would be in a very tight enclosed space. Mm-hmm. But I, I really love the yeah. way that it moved and uh, considering that it's based off of a short, they developed it to a, a fantastic feature. I wanted it to be longer, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really intense experience and while it doesn't necessarily have the assaultive like audio-visual experience of the Safdie Brothers movie, it gets that anxiety of a mm-hmm. movie like Uncut Gems across really well. And uh, it was something that we've talked about is how, it, you know, I think a lot of times when you get these sort of awkward family reunion type of movies, they're on these beautiful locations. Either they're like away on vacation or they're at the, the big mansion in the country yeah. or something. And this is like a much more realistic experience. It's it's my experience of going to see family where you're you're like in a cramped apart, or apartment or house and like you're trying to like squeeze by someone to move from run room, run room to the other. You're unfortunately like stuck in a corner next to the person you'd least want to talk to right now and and that type of experience is something that i think a lot of people probably can relate to even if you don't necessarily relate to the specifics of danielle's experience in this movie uh which is part of what i think uh makes it so effective and good uh emma siegelman a siegelman rather uh this is i believe her first uh, feature as a writer director both writer and director absolutely knocks it out of Knock the park out. and it's a movie that's been pretty well received on the festival circuit you know made it to tiff made it to as we mentioned new fest and indie memphis and denver international it actually picked up the award for One, grand jury yeah. award at indie memphis so it's a uh, it's a movie that a lot of people are responding to uh, really i'm hoping it. more people get to check it out soon yeah, easily the standout of the festival. I think it's. Uh, I think most people who are going to see it are going to love it as well. It's hilarious. Mm-hmm. It's heartfelt. I, I can't wait to see what they do next with this because it's fantastic, fantastic movie. Definitely the rewatchability uh, is up there. It's very high. Totally, totally. So what else there? Uh, has, what else has caught your eye among your favorites from New Fest? One of the other narratives, and I know uh, you had some documentaries that you wanted to talk about as well, but totally. uh, I'll talk about one that's kind of a little bit of a hybrid, if they like to be eh, if they like having it called that cicada yeah this one just uh this one shook me like, again also a, a movie that uses humor to kind of get into like a, a deeper subject but i don't know if you want to break this one down yeah so uh this one is written by sheldon d brown and matthew pfeiffer who are also the two stars of it matthew pfeiffer is one of the co-directors of it so they're re- using a lot of elements from their real life telling uh, their love story mm-hmm. In a way that the plot description says it blends narrative and doc, but I think just watching it, aside from how personal and lived in it feels, it does have that experience of watching a narrative film and in the directorial choices that are made. So it's less of a hybrid until you know more about it, I feel like. You still get that narrative experience. And it's a really interesting film because in unpacking what these people are going through, they carry this these differing traumas with them and in getting to know each other in trying to develop their relationship they unpack these like emotional truths that are a little hidden beneath the surface and you know for a while it, you're kind of questioning 
what the point of the movie is, and it all builds to this really amazing emotional crescendo with this killer ending that I don't want to spoil, but an ending that kind of shines a new light on the rest of the movie in a way and really makes it a really interesting experience. It's a little bit tonally imbalanced where some scenes feel very, uh, very simple and authentically done, very stripped down and uh, almost unscripted. And then there's other beats that are a little bit more broadly comedic, but it's all charming and uh, serves this really interesting story about kind of finding some self-healing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree. You know, we've seen, I think Infiltrators was still this year. Maybe it was last year. That kind of makes the narrative doc, I carry you with mm-hmm. me, you know, mixes the narrative in the doc. But like like you said, you go into this, you're just going to think it's, it's a narrative movie. You have no idea mm-hmm. that they're playing themselves. You have no idea that they are reenacting stuff they went through back in the day and now they're putting it on film. Uh, I thought it worked fantastically well. And I agree with you. When it comes to a therapist that's in the movie, played by Colby uh, Smulders, I thought she was a character off of How I Met Your Mother. Like, she did not mesh with what was going on, like, the tone of the movie. And there is great comedic points in the movie. I think there are several points where things are getting very tense. And then they hit you with a joke, either between, I think it was him and his sister... Or him and his partner, mm-hmm. him and his mom, uh, they'll just say something and they'll cut away. Him and his doctor even, and I thought those comedic points worked well. But then Colby Smulders comes out, right? And I'm not sure if she's actually based off a real person as well, and if she is, good lord. Um, but an interesting character, I will I will yeah. say. A very different therapist. Yeah. But I agree Definitely with you. Definitely feels like she's from a different movie in this, but... Yeah. But I love what it builds up to... Um, and, and it, it's a movie that, you know, you it, it covers like three different subjects. You know, it's like a, a man who's coming out, an interracial relationship, trauma. And, and usually mm-hmm. a lot of movies will like make it really about that. But to me, it worked really well, be it because it's such, it's a true story and it's the same guy, guys who are who are in it as well. But um, it was very effective for me. And I agree with you that ending almost shed a tear. And if a movie can like almost bring you to cry, you know, like yeah. that's when you know you got yourself a good film. So I highly recommend Cicada. That was very, uh, very well done. Yeah, and uh, we mentioned it briefly. Colby Smulders in the, is in this, but there are a couple other somewhat recognizable faces. Scott Adsit, who was on 30 Rock for a while. Joe Firestone. Uh, Bowen Yang, who's on SNL, also shows up in this movie. So some recognizable comedic faces in this kind of beautiful human dramedy, comedy drama. It's, mm-hmm. it's a little bit on that line there. But yeah, I would definitely recommend Cicada as well jump into a documentary that I thought was really effective. My favorite documentary of Newfest was Killing Patient Zero. This mm. is written and directed by uh, Lori Lind. And it's largely the story of Gaetan uh, Dugas, uh, an openly gay flight attendant for Air Canada, who in the early 80s was basically discovered or or labeled more accurately as patient zero for the AIDS epidemic as researchers were beginning to find out about the virus and witness its spread across uh, North America. They were able to do some contact tracing in order to figure out like who, who has this disease, who potentially gave it to who. And uh, a lot of energy ended up focused on Gaetan as the man who uh, helped spread it amongst several people. And the New York Post eventually calling him the man who gave us AIDS. Uh, and what this documentary really does is unpack all of that information, all of that research in a way 
to show how he was turned into this sort of martyr figure, the sort of typhoid Mary of the AIDS epidemic in an unfairly way, turned into a bit of a pariah uh, just for being just for cooperating in the investigation to this unknown disease. And there's so many points throughout this documentary where you'll see the way in which different administrations or the public handle the spread of this epidemic and minimize it or or other it and put put the responsibility on other people or or their uh immoral actions or uh decide that the virus isn't a big deal because it's not affecting them like there's a particular moment with Reagan's press secretary that crazy feel feels ridiculous and, and and maddening but also weirdly relevant to our current times and uh, uh you know killing a patient zero first premiered back in 2019 so i doubt yeah. Lori lind had this resonance in mind but the resonance is undeniable now in terms of how that situation is mirrored by many of the actions being taken by the current administration towards coronavirus so there's a lot that's very compelling about this documentary gives you so much information about a critical period of American history, but also that it it feels so relevant now gives it this uh, unexpected unexpected urgency. Mm-hmm. I, I was blown away by this documentary. Yeah, I mean, I was just a kid in the '90s, so I think it does a great job at like putting you back, going through all of the news archives from everything that happened, and like you said. It takes people like decades, but you look back and then you see what the headlines were back in the day and you realize like, yo, these newspapers are responsible for a lot of the narrative that is out there. And then you look mm-hmm. at, like you said, the the breakdowns on uh, what they called the Reagan right. And it was like, I don't have it. You have it. I, uh, me? I know you. And it's just like this back and forth of nobody wanted to really address the subject until it was too late, you know, until like somebody's uncle had it, until somebody's relative had it. And then all of a sudden it becomes, you know, an epidemic and uh, you end up falling behind on it. But no, I thought it was a, a great breakdown. I thought the interviews that they got um, within it were great. I was looking over here. The director actually directed some of Shit's Creek as well. So um, hmm. I'm curious to see what he does next because it's a great documentary he's doing to TV. No, it was a really good breakdown. Yeah, yeah. And it's a it's also interesting because it gives you a little bit more of a personal mm-hmm. story about this man who I think is largely known for things about him that aren't uh personal, you know, he he's known almost as the the super spreader and not yeah, as a they human being. Him. So yeah, it, it's a a really powerful documentary and I, I think one that uh people should definitely seek out. In terms of other narratives that I like during the festival, uh, I caught one that I know you didn't get to, Uncle Frank, mm. uh, which yeah. first premiered back Sundance. at Sundance earlier this year. Uh, Amanda the Jedi caught it and liked it, but none of us had the chance to. I finally got the chance to, and uh, I agree with her. It's a, it's a kind of delightful little movie. It's set in the early 70s uh, about this this young girl played by Sophia Lillis who has this uncle that she likes but doesn't know well and they live in uh, conservative South Carolina and uh, they, you know, there's some, there's all these unknowns about her, uh, her uncle. And then when she's able to travel to New York, she, she learns he's gay and he has this whole lifestyle that she knows nothing about. And it, it's this interesting getting to know you story. They go on a road trip. They, they meet the, the uncle's boyfriend. And uh, it just, in terms of, like a story about get, learning to know someone and accepting 
differences with people. I just, I found it sweet. I found it charming. I think the performances are really what sells you a lot in this movie because it's filled with really uh, charming actors, most notably Paul Bettany, who mm-hmm. plays uh, the titular Uncle Frank. Uh, and I just, I enjoyed spending time with this movie. Uh, a movie that th- kind of feels like at its heart, uh, people are sweet, people are good, even That's if great. there are uh, traumas that get inflicted upon the way. And I don't know if I... I th- felt strongly about the like hyper emotional flashbacks that happened throughout the movie. But as long as we stayed in the present where, where there was genuinely like a, a affection shown from person to person, mm-hmm. I just, I, the movie did feel a little bit like a warm hug, less saccharine, more sweet to me. And that might not be the case for everybody, but I enjoyed this one. And beyond, beyond, uh, Sophia Lillis and, and uh, Paul Bettany, there's other great actors in this, like Steve Zahn, Judy Greer, uh, Stephen Root, character actress Margot Martindale. Hey. So uh, a, a lot to enjoy about Uncle Frank. I thought this one was good. Written and directed by Alan Ball, I should mention. Alan Ball, the guy who won an Oscar for American Beauty, created Six Feet Under, created True Blood, so a legend in his own right. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd recommend Uncle Frank. Dope. I know it comes out on uh, Prime Video on Thanksgiving, so... There yeah, you know, yeah. A so lot not of that far be, around the yeah, corner. A lot of these, you know, they're gonna be on streaming too. So it's like we're watching it from the comfort of our own house. Eventually, you will be watching it at, mm-hmm. uh, at, from the comfort of your own house as well. But all right, I'm looking forward to this one. Anything else you wanted to spotlight? Uh, let me see what else we have over here. Uh, there was a doc on Keith Haring, which I thought was pretty interesting, uh, called Keith Haring Street Boy. Um, I've seen his art around all the time. You know, they have it up at Unique Low and a bunch of places. But it was cool to see his kind of breakdown artistically on how he really was like always fighting on not being as commercial because he wanted to be you know true to his art. It's always you know that same battle that that goes on. But it was interesting to see his inspirations, how he stopped hanging out with like a lot of the people that he grew up with, started hanging out with a lot of street kids uh, in order to be able to learn like um, a lot of street art and stuff and that's what really inspired a lot of his artwork um, I really liked that one I thought that was pretty good but uh, another narrative would have been White Lie I don't think you've gotten the chance to catch this one yet I did not but uh, this pretty much follows um, a girl who at school she is just like popular they are having her sign books and all of these different things she's gotten all of these loans but that's because she has cancer or does she? So now you got this entire Ooh. movie where you're following uh, this girl trying to cover up one little lie with another, with another, with another, and it becomes she's practically Cartman, you know. So it's very interesting to see her uh, follow it through, um, not just because of the way that she covers up her lies with you know the very little that you know going into the movie, but it's also like understanding the relationship she has with each person and who she chooses to manipulate and not. And uh, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a very great performance by the lead. Um, and it reminded me a lot of this other movie that had come out a couple of years ago called Hope Springs Eternal, where the same thing happens. The girl's like very, uh, the girl has cancer. She gets all this attention. And then when she goes into remission, she's like, mm, I want to keep this. Sp- I want to keep the perks practically. <laughs> um, but I know this one played at a couple of other festivals. It's also playing at Philly. Um, and I highly recommend it. It's a really nice um, thriller that you go through. Um and that in the final shot is something I want to talk to you about as well, because it it reminds me of another series that I really enjoy. And it's I thought it was good. I thought it was well done. Um, but yeah, while Very I, cool. while I was really cool narrative. I don't know if you have another one. Do you want to talk about Cowboys a little bit? Yeah, let's talk about Cowboys. Yeah, so this one's written and directed by Anna Kerrigan. It's an uh, interesting film. Uh, it's about a man and his young transgender son on the run from 
their conservative mother in the Montana wilderness. It's got a little bit of like a like a maybe like a hunt for the wilder people vibe mm-hmm. at, at some point, although not it doesn't have that quirky energy, but that that like kidnapping on the run father and son uh, kind of dynamic is uh, throughout the film. Uh, and it's it's fun in parts. I like Steve Zahn as the father. I even kind of like yeah. Julian Bell as the mother. Um, but it, it's um, I think it's just a really interesting story in depicting an undertold uh, type of story in that, like, I haven't really seen the experience of a young transgender person in film very often. Uh, and also the experience of the the parents journey to acceptance in that. Uh, I think it was well articulated and and kind of nice to see it's just being something that uh, you know of, but you don't get to experience in that same way as often. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciated that element of the movie. Um, I think there's maybe a couple big swings that the film does, in ter- especially with violence, that uh, distract a little from the main plot. But I think when this movie was more about uh, the relationships at its center, it was it was successful for me. No, I, I agree. Same thing. Um, I really like End Out. Um in the movie yeah well. yeah she's also yeah. great as she, the sort of investigator yeah she was pretty good um and just the way that she's like trying to navigate what's going on with this family because it, it took me a bit to be like wait jillian bell's the conservative one you know like i went into the movie right. for whatever reason thinking it was going to be the reverse uh but it's the complete opposite. <laughs> you expect her to be the warm ex- loving yeah person. i expected her to be the warm and loving she's one and steve's on to be like excuse me um and yeah. no, steve's on actually worked really well as the like the um, what's a what what's the one with a uh, uh, Vigo where he like takes all his kids and they live out in the wilderness? Yeah, you know that's like what he was g- trying to turn his daughter into, and they're like, "No, Dad, this is um, this is kidnapping." Um, yeah. it, but it's a very interesting relationship um, that they have that he has going on with his daughter or his son. Um, and I would say my little sister, which is also playing at a, at a couple of places, that's been getting a lot of buzz as well. Um, another story that uh, deals with like a, a much younger person, like coming to as well um mm-hmm. and i thought look i don't know who played the uh, uh the sasha knight i don't know I if they've been in anything is... else um kingdom hearts uh, i guess but <laughs> no i thought it was a i thought it was a cute little movie that by the end of it uh you know out of out of a lot of the movies that we get they always end very violently so it's very rare when you get a movie that does not end with something like that uh, in one of the mm-hmm. interviews that I had heard, it's like it's always a blast to be able to play a character who at the end doesn't die or is a sex worker. So you don't get any of that here whatsoever. Um, but no, it was a cute little family tale, really. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like the kind of movie that is about an issue like this that I don't think would necessarily be like awkward to to watch with uh, your mom or whatever like that. It's a sweet movie. Do you remember um, the hopefully, one? Hopefully, you know, families can watch together. There, there was one that came out a couple of years ago that was the same thing about their, I believe it was their daughter transitioning into a boy, and they had no idea how to market that movie, and it had, like, pretty big actors as well. Um, and they kept changing the name of the film. And mm. at the end of it, like, I don't know, I guess it just never came out. Same thing happened with a kid named Jake, if I'm not mistaken, that also premiered at mm. Sundance. Um I think like the marketing is like one of the biggest uh, hurdles that a lot of these movies have to go through, just like tapping into that yeah. audience. But streaming, streaming, you know, that's that's going to be the key yeah. there. Totally, and and I think this is maybe a movie that, uh, with that whole like on the run kidnapping element, might be another angle to get people to mm-hmm. want to check out a movie like this. 
Uh, what else did you did you like from New Fest? What other features are worth spotlighting? Tahara, which also stars the yeah. same actress from Rachel uh, Sennett. Yeah. I really enjoyed the rhythm. I really enjoyed the style at the uh, at the in the first half of the movie when you're following these two Jewish girls who, you know, they're kind of you know, they've been friends for a very long time. But the older that they get, they may realize that they both have different things that they're seeking out. Um, and while the second half of the movie, I know especially you didn't uh, it didn't gel with you as well because it does get a little. Um, Tumultuous, I guess, is the, is the right mm-hmm. word to say. I, I really did enjoy the rhythm of the movie. I liked the way that it was told. I liked a lot of the comedy, um, especially mm-hmm. they do this thing where they tag people to like announce them. Yeah, and there's a it's funny... kind of like that the the Instagram tags yeah. popping up. Yeah, um, and they do a lot of funny stuff with that. I, I really like the relationship that they have where they even communicate. It's just subtitles. They're just communicating with each other just by like staring some notes, mm-hmm. but it's really just staring at each other and looking at uh, looking around during the services. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was a cute little movie um mm-hmm. even if the if there's the some stylized half. there's some stylized bits that are really exciting in this movie mm-hmm. and it makes me think like the directors hopefully got some more exciting material in their quiver and it's also it's got that int- that boxy aspect ratio that does kind of make it look like the whole thing was shot to be on instagram that too but yeah it, it's a it's an interesting uh I believe first feature. So we'll be curious to see what else they do in the future. And uh, shouts also to again, Rachel Sennett and also Madeline Gray DeFries, who were both very good as the two films leads. Another one I saw was breaking fast. I don't know if you got to catch this one, but I didn't catch this one yet. Yeah. It takes place here in America. Uh, and you're following this dude who it believe it's in the midst of Ramadan where, you know, there's, there's a nice mm-hmm. little play on breaking fast because he's also um, in a relationship with a guy who, they're not seeing because they're a Middle Eastern family, so they're not really mm-hmm. seeing eye to eye, and he doesn't know what to do at that point. And I think it's a very interesting tale, not only of, of a guy who's struggling with his religion, but it's also like he's trying to fit into society and also like you know come out because he, he has not come out to anyone in his family. The original boyfriend who he has right at the beginning, his big thing is let me get married. And then we can be our couple. He goes, nah, like we make fun of people who do that, who have the side woman and then do the thing. Uh, and that's like the the opening trailer bit um, mm-hmm. and what sets him on his journey. And it's cute. It's one of those movies where it's like it definitely feels more um, like a like a rental that you would get where it's like a nice family. Like it's very quirky because um, there is a, a serious version of this, I would say, is uh, Minion, which I just saw yesterday as a part of Philly, but is also playing at New Fest mm. where it's a, a, a New York Jewish Russian guy who's going through like a very similar thing. Um, and then Minion being prayer as well. So it's like these two stories, one way more serious in Minion and then this more like a quirky comedy that's going on mm-hmm. uh, during Ramadan. And uh, I enjoyed it. I thought they have some very interesting like dialogue set pieces where it's like, Again, like the first one that I told you, we make fun of people who are in that situation. And then as he as he uh, gets another partner and the arguments that he also has with his best friend, it's like these back and forth of what's it like to be a Muslim? What does the book really say? As well as the, you know, what they're going through during this period of time in America. Because mm-hmm. he's also in an interracial relationship. And it's like having that person understand mm-hmm. what you're going through and uh, seeing right. if they would break fast with you or not. So um, I thought it was a cute little movie. I'm curious to see how this one does. And like I said, if you didn't nice. want it to be as quirky, Minion is literally this movie, same religious mm-hmm. aspects, Jewish, 
and way more serious because uh, that one was done by a playwright as well. But um, there you go, two for Breaking Fast and Minion. That's one of the things that's uh, really cool about a, fe- a festival like New Fest, which does ha- kind of have its hyper focus on these LGBTQ plus stories. You get a lot of films where they're targeted towards sort of very niche experiences. Yeah. Like the like the, the, the gay Muslim in America experience, or uh, when you were talking about that, it made me feel uh, think about a, a little bit like uh, No Hard Feelings, which is the mm, experience of, uh, ref- I believe, Syrian refugees in Germany, but who are also gay, uh, which even though I wasn't a huge fan of that one, like it's, it's just interesting to see all these different perspectives and all these different stories being told. Um, and that's what's, what's great about getting out, getting to check out a fest. Like I agree with fest. you. You realize that it's like it's not just the LGBT film. It's is this someone who is going through uh, lies because they're lying about their cancer? Is this someone who has yeah. a completely different experience like we were talking about here because they're Middle Eastern? Another one would have been Monsoon, you know, because that's also a story right. where he would have been a refugee. Um, mm-hmm. Monsoon stars uh, Henry Golding. Is that his name? Yeah. Henry Golding. Good old attractive man playing uh, kind of off of what uh, what he goes through as well, because I believe he is Malaysian and uh, he's from the UK. But here would be someone who's yeah. from the UK and Vietnam. And mm-hmm. his family had to leave Vietnam way early on as refugees. They moved to the UK. But now that he wants to bury or spread the ashes of his parents, he comes back to Vietnam. And it's like completely different to him. You know, he's not coming back. At, he's, he mm-hmm. feels like he's coming back as a visitor. And there's certain things that he remembers, but a lot that he doesn't. And uh, th- this one was a lot. It, it was very um, w- way more slowly paced. Um, but I really enjoyed yeah. um, that kind of perspective that he's going through where he's not exactly sure where he fits in. And how that storyline of his, you know, ethnicity also goes um, with the discovery of himself as he finds a partner over there who kind of has um, a Defy Blood storyline. From the perspective, yeah, of, like, I was the about sun, to right? say, I was about to say, we were talking a lot about the Five Bloods earlier this year and how that movie tackles the legacy of the Vietnam War uh, and tries to do it from a few different angles. This one is a, mo- a lot more entrenched in the Vietnamese perspective yeah. on the leg- legacy of the Vietnam War. Although there is this really interesting story in that Henry Golding, uh, his character, starts to see a uh, American man or descendant of Americans, at least, uh, living in Vietnam. Uh, uh, somebody whose father was a combat veteran and not a uh, not a in, uh, a uh, occupied force or something like that. Uh, so I think in its in its reckoning of the legacies of Vietnam, it's really interesting. Uh, there's a bit where they talk about how you know there's a new generation of Vietnamese people who don't want to be defined by the Vietnam War, uh, which yeah. is something that I've, I've never heard articulated in a movie before. Um, so it's a, it's an interesting uh, movie, and I think Henry Golding's very good in it. I think ultimately, and, and we've talked about this on the Let Me Explain live stream, that I think a lot of the film was a little bit too stoic and mm-hmm. one note. Uh, the characters all kind of have this like very reserved energy uh, th- that gets a little bit samey by the end of the hour and a half you're yeah. watching it. But uh, interesting movie. That's what he's like when he's with his cousin. It's the same. And when he's with uh, his partner, it's the same. But no, I agree with you. It is one of those movies that while it's uh, slower, it, it's got a lot of, to think about towards the end of it when you realize like – yeah. The person he has a relationship with, technically, his parent would have been the reason why he had left as well. So it's definitely one that I, I think gives you a lot more to talk about um, after watching it. Yeah. You got any more from Newfest? I got one last one. Um, no, all my other ones would be honorable mention stuff that I'll be catching later. What'd you got? 
Cool. Um, I do want to just mention Ammonite, uh, probably the, the biggest movie. I think it was opening night of Newfest. I technically caught this one at the Montclair Film Festival. Okay. As we mentioned, a lot of these movies are bouncing around different festivals. Not only did I catch it at Montclair, I caught it at a drive-in in Montclair. I got my drive-in experience, uh, which was pretty cool. You know, par- pull up to your parking lot, bring your snacks, bring your blankets, turn off your lights. Uh, try to ignore that that guy keeps turning on his brake light every five minutes. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Uh, but it's it's it was nice to to be at a theater of sorts again and uh, have that experience. You know, it, it's nice to do it with somebody. So Caitlin and I uh, were able to uh, catch the movie. And you know, I, I think ultimately, uh, it, unfortunately, this movie wasn't that exciting. I think a lot of people mm-hmm. have uh, had hopes for it because it's it's Sir Sharon and it's Kate Winslet. They're these Oscar nominated wonderful actresses, and uh, the story has remnants of a uh, portrait of a lady on fire in a way it's uh i think i wrote it in my notes it's like lesbians walking one behind the other by the water in the 1800s feel like it, it's it's it also has a, a scene halfway through the film where uh, after a lot of silence suddenly there's music uh there's just all these weird parallels between it and portrait of a lady on fire but again this one was a lot more stoic and a lot more reserved and uh i feel like the the building uh the the building feelings the the opening up to one another that you get in portrait of a lady on fire uh the beautiful cinematography where it feels like they're trying to create this connection, uh, showing you one face, showing you the other uh, that exists in Portrait of a Lady on Fire is absent from this one uh, where people are are uh, reserved and don't talk to each other until suddenly they have everything to say to each other. And I just didn't believe the whole transition from uh, they don't they don't know each other and aren't comfortable around each other to suddenly they are lovers uh, to be jarring and, and not not as believable uh i i i I don't know i wasn't i wasn't really enraptured by this film uh, the way that i hoped i would be uh despite the fact that there are pretty good performances from both search and kate winslet um but yeah uh not necessarily one that i would recommend although uh we'll see maybe this one will stick around in the awards race as we get further into the year We'll see. I mean, we've been excited for this one since Sundance. I believe that's when they announced it. You know, so it mm-hmm. it is hard. Neon has this one. Ooh, Neon also yeah. had um, when Neon didn't have portrait, did they? I don't think they did. Um, but to live in the shadow I think of they did kind of right. It's like I feel like they did, but I almost don't know. They if did. They, they had. I think they did that in Parasite last year. So. Would make sense. I guess it's just so crazy to remember that they have both. <laughs> uh, but no, just to live in the shadow of it, you know, because it was announced obviously after the fact. Uh, uh, Porch had already done its rounds and stuff. Um, but I would recommend the director's uh, previous movie, which also had played a tennis yes. a couple years back, God's Own Country. You know, so it's yes. like he he, I I do think he's a very good director. So I'm I'm still excited to see it. Um, I haven't seen God's Own Country, but literally a every gay film writer that I follow says it's amazing. So it's, I will have to watch it. Fantastic film. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm I'm so curious to catch this one. It is interesting to see, like as you said, I think once it premiered at TIFF, it was supposed to be like right up there in the top five. Now it's like in the runner-up section when it comes yeah, to the Oscars. Now yeah. that now that every big outlet's releasing their Oscar predictions, they they put it over here, um, and you st- and we still got a lot of other stuff that's going to be coming out. Because remember, it doesn't just stop November, December. We now got January and February uh, where other stuff's going to be getting mm-hmm. released. So um, we'll we'll see if it holds up through the uh, through the award season. 
All right, Ben. Take us to Chicago. What does the oh, Chicago sorry, International sorry, Film sorry, Festival sorry. have? Okay. Uh, so there's a, a couple that cross over as well. But Chicago was really interesting because uh, I was able to get like a 10-package deal and just go through all this stuff. Um Let's go. Let's go up. Let's lead up to what we need over here. I don't know if you heard about Charlatan, um, but Charlatan tells the tale of this. Not really a doctor because he doesn't consider himself a doctor, um, but it, it's like right uh, in the midst of communism and everything that's happening over on the uh, on the east side of the world. And he kind of like looks at urine. And he's able to tell what things are because he's an herbalist. And the story is told through flashbacks and then in the present um, where he's getting put to jail and they're trying to like uh, arrest him. Um, And I I thought it was a very interesting story because it doesn't really approach him as being a charlatan, which is, you know, off the title, you think what it would be. Uh, But it's kind of like what he's dealing with in terms of uh, not only the government and how he he's a person who says this line. He thinks that anybody who has no power is at their weakest point. And he says this from the perspective of being a soldier. And I think that really informs the entire movie because um, he's also in an, in a gay relationship. And when mm. you put that into perspective, what was going on um, back in those days, because he is a true guy. He's like an actual dude who was uh, healing a lot of people. But a lot of people either didn't see that as being an actual service, that, that it was like all fake with his herbs, or it did not benefit the specific government powers that be. Uh, this is the Sheck submission for the Oscars, so um, it might. Yeah, yeah. I. Uh, it's also directed by Agnieszka Holland, who is a, a pretty well-respected, uh, yeah, Polish director. Yes, so uh, interesting, and w- wonder if uh, this will make its way into the best international Oscar race. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in- curious about Charleston. Another one that I saw was preparations to be together for an unknown period of time. And I'll keep this one brief because um, it didn't completely hit for me. But no. yeah, you practically it's got a great title. A fantastic title. I mean, it was one of the first ones that I made sure I had in my car. Uh, and it did win a couple of stuff at Chicago as well. So definitely have it on your radar. Uh, it pretty much covers a surgeon, I believe, who mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's a story to run. We're going to meet here and then you tell me uh, when you get here and we're going to run away together. They both get there. He goes, I don't. I don't think I remember you. So now you have like this. It's a really weird tone because like in her mind, she's just like, I'm past 40. You're mine. And you're like, oh, so this is the tone. Um, and they both end up like crossing paths uh, many more times. And it's one that I want to rewatch. I think the cinematography is fantastic. Their performances aren't like they're great performances. It's just like. Um, I don't want to refer to a Yorgos film, but it's like very subdued uh, to that degree. Yeah. But uh, I'm curious what more people think about this. This one, like I said, it won some stuff at um, Chicago. But uh, especially you, I think if you get the chance to catch it um, over with the Philly stuff, it would, it would. Yeah, I'd be curious to see your thoughts about I'm the curious. character study that they have with it. Fireball was a documentary by Werner Herzog. And I was very excited for this Werner. one. Yeah, we just got it too. Apple just sent us the <laughs> the link because I know yeah. it's a uh, National Geographic uh, collaboration, which National Geographic's been on their game. That 
spoiler alert, they have my number one from Chicago. But Werner Herzog, you know, just like a lot of the great directors, you know, they'll, they'll make their, their big narrative features and they make like 30 documentaries on the side, right? This man's mm-hmm, got like, I think, mm-hmm. two other documentaries he's coming out with this year. This one's about meteorites. Um, mm. My mom, super into meteorites. I saved this one to go mm-hmm. watch with her, you know, because you could bring as many people as you want uh, with these virtual <laughs> screenings. It was okay. Uh, like she really knows her meteors, so it's like every time something would mm-hmm. come out on screen, she was like, "Ah, yes, there's this." It's a really interesting <laughs> breakdown, um, but it's really just Werner just walking around, learning new things all around the country. Uh, I think the best part is what you see in the um, the thumbnail that was released way back at Sundance when he's holding the little rock, and that's when he goes to Antarctica, and uh, he realizes he's exploring that we kind of have like a bunch of dust. You know, there's always the fear of. <laughs> the Gerard Butler movie becoming true of a meteor coming in, but mm-hmm. we actually get a lot of debris. And I thought that was interesting how he, he's telling you, he's like, you find meteor dust, space dust in a bunch of places. And he goes to a lot of scientists um, who kind of give him this interesting perspective of, we were told we were wrong and we were wrong and we were wrong. We just didn't have the technology to prove what we were trying to say. And now it's science. Mm. So it's like that that's like the most interesting dinger that he gives you uh, within the movie. But he goes into a lot of uh, interesting perspectives and cultures and how different cultures see these meteors and what it means to them. So um, very interesting. I feel like that one I feel like that one would be chock full of like delicious Werner Herzog narration. Lots, lots of meteorites. And like- he doesn't ca- like this man just doesn't <laughs> care. He goes to this one place. He's like, this place is ridden. With nothing but the meteors. And I was like, damn, bro. <laughs> Which was, that's what makes them great, you know? Um, yeah. Another one that I caught was A Fish and Men. Uh, it's one of those movies that begins with, like, the middle act. And you're like, oh, mm. no, an incident has occurred. And it's pretty much this mother who runs her uh, own fish farm. And she's got a dude who works for her. But the dude's brother comes back to visit and he may be involved with like some very bad things uh, and that's what may have caused the incident that happens at the beginning. It is definitely a character study on grief. The director herself is a psychologist. Um, So I think that that may be a lot of the division with a lot of people uh, with this movie. I also feel, and you and I go through this a lot, where you'll catch a movie and you're like, oh, that wasn't bad. Why was it so divided? It's because so many people want to watch so many movies in a festival week that when you end up getting one that's just dragging a little too long you blame it on the movie and not realizing that it's just us trying to get to the next one um Mm -hmm. but from that perspective of uh the director just like kind of studying grief through these characters and what they're going through i thought it was interesting and there's a uh, there's a little thriller element to it as well because you're trying to figure Mm. out what caused that incident that you saw at the beginning um as his mother's going through what she's going through so a fish and men pretty interesting um sweat this one, the yeah. Hugo. This one, the big one over at uh, over at Chicago. It was all right. Um, I believe this may <laughs> be the, right. I believe it may be the submission for the country. Uh, but it's about influencers, you know. Uh, in this one in particular, hmm. you have I believe it's a Polish film. Yeah, Polish and Swedish as well. She um, she's a fitness instructor, right? And she becomes really massive. She's got six hundred thousand subscribers, uh, followers, and you know she ends up getting a stalker. Um, not as 
much as the the logline would let you believe that oh it's a soccer film mm -hmm. it's not really that it's more so the pressures of what she goes through having to keep up this appearance of i work out i am happy hi how's everyone and she gets a lot of criticism um whenever she posts something that isn't up to that part you know uh, i thought that mm -hmm. was the most interesting aspect of it um i am curious to rewatch it because there's a whole sequence that happens when she's back home and you start like seeing the perspective of this influencer and how she was influenced by her parents. I think I think that there's mm. there's a lot more there, and I think that's what a lot of the um, the jury saw when awarding it from the <laughs> from the YouTuber's perspective and stuff like that. I think that there is a lot. There are a lot of directors who are making movies about modern day social um, mm -hmm. social media, and they kind of got it, but you could tell they don't really know it. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. The spree just, factor a little bit. Yeah, you know, I, I I believe I don't have, I'm not a fitness guru, but I think I know how <laughs> online stuff works, and I think that they kind of, um, it's not terrible. I've seen movies that do it a lot worse, but uh, yeah. I think from- It's not quite as accurate as it maybe could be. I don't think so, because you, you'd just be yeah. like, okay, I mean, we know how Insta works, we know how this works, <laughs> but I think just from the perspective of, it, they're really trying to show you a celebrity. I, th I think that's really all it is. Yeah. They swapped out what would have been a celebrity if this movie came out early in the early 2000s to just, well, let's have it be a social media star. Um, right. But it really is just that perspective of what she's going through, and as an influencer, you always have to be happy. No one wants the sad part. Um, Interesting. But yeah, I'm curious to see what uh, what people think about this one. I, I definitely yeah, think it's worth, that one. worth the rewatch. Undine. I'm saying Undine because that's how he said it in the movie. This is cool. Christian Petzold's new film. Um, he has, I believe, had Phoenix at Chicago. I was able to see Transit last year at Chicago. Wasn't in the theater this year, but I still got the new Christian Petzold movie. I liked it more mm -hmm. than Transit. Um, Good. Yeah, I believe uh, Paula Beer had one Best Actress at Berlin for this. So. Oh, wow. Uh, and she was also in transit. Yeah, this is one of the few few festival movies that actually started hitting festivals before uh, COVID started happening. Mm -hmm. So de definitely curious about Undine, which I've definitely been pronouncing as Undine for a while. Bruh, I say Undine. I was saying Undine the entire time. Um, but it's interesting because I was saying the same thing for a TIFF movie from last year where I kept saying Antigone. And they're like, Antigone. <laughs> Both of these are based off tales. I don't. I didn't know of the tales, so I right. think this is one where uh, I'm curious to see yeah, if you go watch it without knowing the tale. I obviously read up mm -hmm. on the tale beforehand because I was like, I, I want to make sure I'm following along with what it is. And it is. It's this like, not necessarily a fish out of water tale, but it's this like almost uh, tragic legend about a lover and uh, how their lover always has to pass if they cheat on them. That That's the basis mm -hmm. of the legend. That's how the movie starts. She's getting broken up. She goes, if you leave me, you die. And you're like, is she a mystical creature? What is going on? Um, she ends up being like an architect, uh, not an architect. A um, She works at a museum and breaks down architecture in Berlin. And you have this love story that's going on, right, about these lovers and how mm -hmm. she may be bound to this tale if she is a human. I mean, she has a job. Um, and how the stuff she breaks down about with architecture is how no matter how many people come over and look at the look at this model of Berlin, this isn't there anymore, and this isn't there anymore because there's new powers that come that be, but there's a certain place in Berlin that was always still up, and it's kind of like that dichotomy of um, how the romance that's going on is kind of uh, intertwined with like the history of uh, of this city as well, and how 
like the history of the city is broken lovers. You know, I mean, you can make the connections there um, and how the powers that be like cheat on each other and whatnot. But there's always still like a glimmer of hope that's in there. Um, He ends it with a with a much more glimmer of hope than I think he did transit. Um, But it's the same, too. So if you like transit at all, it's the same two actors coming back. Um, And uh, I enjoyed it a bit more. But I think the more you know about the legend, the better, because it plays off of tropes in the legend as well. Interesting. The special. Zach? Special. Have you ever seen a movie with your parents? Yes. And then the dad teaches the kid how to jerk off? <laughs> nope. That nope, that experience I did not have had yet. This Unfortunately, is, I guess. Yeah, it's on the, it's on the bucket list. Uh, well, if you want to, <laughs> I would suggest the Venezuelan film, uh, The Special. You have mm-hmm. a father who uh, had the ability to be a... Um, uh, percussionist and he's like very good at what he does but you know you start the story at a position where he has not followed his dream and he's just the the, the parking guy who parks the cars for everybody but his son has down syndrome and his son wants to be an artist but his son also tends to get into a lot of trouble at, at school and stuff because he doesn't really know where to draw the line like his dad's always busy no one's really taught him how to like speak to other women and girls um so you do have this father-son relationship that's happening here because it's just the two of them trying to bond and the father keeps falling into you know a lot of you know he's stuck in a rut and the kid who's already 23 i believe like he wants to be his own man as well and uh it was a cute little tale of a father-son story and, and like, the things that they want to get done. It takes place in Venezuela. And, I mean, if you've been following Venezuela at all, like, I was like, is this, ta- is this taking place during this time right now? <laughs> he goes to the shop, asks for a candy bar. The candy bar costs 1000 more, whatever the currency is, over the batteries. And they're like, okay, it's taking place during this time in Venezuela yeah. right now. Um, but I, I thought it was a, a, a cute little tale. Like I said, you are warned. That there is a uh, masturbation scene that happens between father and son, yeah. which is it's cute. Like you, you could see the lovable, teachable <laughs> moment that's happening. You would have enjoyed it a lot more had I it not been for the company. I would have enjoyed it a lot more. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's one that's out there. Uh, <laughs> all of those that I mentioned, I think, would be uh, solid rentits. Uh, but now let me move on to all my junior prices, the ones that I think would have been worth seeing. Yeah. At a theater leading up to my combos. All right. The meat of the festival. The meat of the festival. I'm your woman. You know anything about this one? Yeah. So I believe uh, this one's going to be on Amazon Prime as well. Stars Rachel Brosnahan. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tell me a little more about it. So uh, it also has Jordan Horowitz. He's the producer and I believe writer to the movie as well. Many of you may know him as... Yeah, uh, he was... (laughs) I I was going to say... The award's yours, Moonlight, not ours. (laughs) Right? You... Uh, his IMDb credit should be that <laughs> and then producer of <laughs> La La Land. Uh, but yes, he was the guy who told everyone from Moonlight that they had one best picture. Uh, and he had actually done an earlier movie in his career. And this movie is kind of a flip on that. You know, they really take the perspective of in The Godfather, when the door gets closed on the wife, we don't see the room. We see the perspective of the wife. Uh, and we really mm-hmm. are following Rachel Brosnahan uh, as she... Uh, She's got this baby. I don't want to say too much because I didn't see the trailer and Alina did. And while we were watching the movie, she's like, they are not revealing stuff from the trailer till way later. So I'll just keep it as it is Hmm. from the perspective of uh, the wife whose husband is involved in a bunch of shady things. And um, you're just following her. 
and she's discovering everything at the same time you're discovering everything. Uh, and it's a nice little thriller. I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Um, it's directed by Julia Hart, who uh, also worked on Fast Color, and I really like the writing in that movie as oh, well. Cool. So I think the cast is very strong. Um, obviously, you know, multi-Emmy Award winning cast that they have as well. Um, I think a lot of people will enjoy this one. I enjoyed it as well, uh, but I have it as a junior prize for me personally. Cool. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, I wanted to check this one out. Curious December about 11th, Prime Video. Prime just picking up everything, man. Like, I feel like Netflix didn't do festivals this year. Yeah. They just kept everything. You know, they're like, we're going to release really. it. But, you know, Prime I, Prime and Hulu, I think, are the are the main two that went out and uh, did stuff. Another one, True Mothers. This one was very interesting. Uh, a two-hour movie, two-hour and 20-minute movie. So I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I, I kept looking at that one going, let me see when I'm going to get to this one. But... You have a couple who can't have a kid. They end up adopting. And the true mother comes back. And that's all I'm going to say. It's an Asian film. I I really am curious to see some of the behind the scenes. Mainly because um, there's a bit of it that almost turns into documentary. And Mm. it's just a shift that, that happens with the camera. And I'm very curious to see like what the why they went about doing it that way um but it is a very interesting is this movie. more of like is this uh like a thriller or is it more of just like a family drama like I would is say there another movie you would compare it to maybe it's like father like son uh this one came out in 2013 it was directed by yeah. hirokazu korita um i know he did some other stuff as well shoplifters <laughs> what am i talking about yeah yeah uh i really like like father like son because that's one where yeah. the kids were kind of swapped and it really plays on like, I'm a father. I didn't teach you this. Where did you learn this from? <laughs> your other, your real father. Um, there is an element of that because the movie begins before you actually get the, the the crossing over of the original mother coming in. They're dealing with the kid may have done something at school that is going to get him in a lot of trouble, and they're very confused because that's not the kid they know. So you know, there's a little bit of a thriller aspect, but I would say it's mostly like a drama. Uh, it's a drama yeah. that 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 um, that I think is worth the watch. But it's a very hefty, you know, two hours and twenty minutes, just so you know. But uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I liked it a lot. One thing that we were talking about is a lot of the movies at Newfest because they are talk about kind it. of these small budget independent movies. Uh, they're they got run times of like seventy four minutes or eighty one minutes, and it it you know when you're watching. 10 20 maybe 30 movies in a festival like a like a nice 90 minute you know time is so, it's so nice refreshing. the butt cheeks appreciate it um but nonetheless <laughs> you know we're cool with all run times uh, as long as it works for the yes. movie it works for the movie uh next one that i have the road up uh it's a chicago documentary produced by cisco i i, I believe he's the nephew oh. of cisco uh, directed it sorry um and it, it pretty much follows the Kara program cisco. The care program that we have here in Chicago that pretty much helps uh, people from like all walks of life who like kind of just need help in finding a job or they may have a record or, you know, a a variety of different things. And you follow the I'm blanking on the the guy's name, but the instructor, like he's the one who's leading everything. Right. Um, And the opening line is he has everyone there is I didn't ask any of y'all to come here. Y'all came here on your own accord. Excuse me. I will never feel pity for you. I will never feel sorry for you. But I do feel compassion. And it's all about like uh, you, you go through all of these different subjects um, 
and it feels so weird calling them subjects. And I guess that's my biggest part of the movie. It's like, you know, when like a documentary covers somebody and they're like, they went through this and then like ending credits tells you they never made it. I was like, but you like, you co- you came in here to like record them in their homes and everything. And then you just dip. Mm-hmm. That may be my only little issue with it. Um, but it is a very interesting look at um, this program and just like the different people who come into it and how yeah. easily your life can just get derailed and there is absolutely nobody there to help you. Nobody. And I think it's very effective at that. I, I believe this one had won the audience award for the doc. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I would highly recommend it. Uh, and especially because, you know, you follow the instructor helping all these people out. And then you get his side of the story as well. And it feels like you're in the program. You are in the program because yeah. you are many times just watching the the class go down. So uh, if you're interested. That's kind of crazy. That's kind of crazy, though, that... Uh, I believe, if you could correct me if I'm wrong, Chicago International Film Festival occasionally uses the Gene Siskel Film Center for screenings. Um, I be- uh, to think that, you know, uh, John Siskel might have had a movie at the Gene Siskel Film Center if not for uh, he not going to movie theaters right oh, now. For a fact, he, it would have played there, yeah. That would have been yeah. It would have been good. I thought it was a pretty good breakdown. Um, yeah. Let's see. Getting up over here. Summer of 85, which also played at New Fest, is... Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you know anything about this one. I don't. It's also playing at Philly. This is one of the ones that's really in a lot of festivals. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it's an Italian film. Let me make sure over here. Uh, I know it started playing way back at Cannes as well. It is a summer love story, practically, but it's told in flashbacks. However, I was going into this movie thinking, oh, we're going to have a nice little like, you know, summer romance fling movie no right right from the jump it starts in the present and the whole relationship is a flashback it don't really uh, it there is an impending doom that the movie begins you with of what's happening as he's retelling this Mm. tale um about these uh two guys who uh they meet up at a beach at one point and they just they hit it off they have this summer relationship of 85 that uh happened and Mm. uh, whether it ends well or not that's you know up I guess not really up to interpretation, but um, the poster is giving me "Call Me by Your Name" vibes. Maybe it's just that bright blue sky. I mean, and, bro, there is uh, shirtless or sleeveless. I should say it's men. very hard when they got the scenery. When they have one of them's a yeah. little bit older than the other one, and is definitely swaying yeah. the younger one. When they have those dance sequences, again, it's you know it's very hard not to compare a lot of uh, cinematic yeah. parallels. Um, but it is its own movie in its own right. But. It does have the same beats. Very happy. Oh, no. Relationship going downhill. Very sad. Yeah. No crying through the credits. Um, but there may be some dancing through the credits. Um, I thought it was cool. pretty – it was a decent one um, that I have over here as, as my junior junior price. Um, that kind of becomes a little bit of a thriller kind of, I guess. But, I mean, there's been summer of everything. Summer of 84 was a, a Sundance one. Summer <laughs> of 85. So we're just going through all the summer, all the summer years. But uh, if you're interested in those Call Me By Your Name vibes um, – that also includes the depressing parts. There's that. Padre Nostro. Yeah, the director. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say the, the director, Francois Ozon. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but looks like he's done a couple uh, notable movies like Swimming Pool and Young and Beautiful. I haven't seen those films, but, you know, it might be worth uh, looking into the summer of 85. I, I, he got uh, great performances from his cast. That's for sure. It's just yeah. a little too depressing at times. <laughs> um Padre Nostro. This is based one? off of yeah. Uh, it's based off of a true story where the director himself was raised during what was called the Years of Lead in Italy. And I was like, why are they called the Years of Lead? And then you see what happens. 
fled, bro. <laughs> I searched up the, a little bit of the history of what happened during those years in Italy. It was insane. So this is his mm. perspective because his father was a commissioner, a police commissioner, and there was a hit on him. Um, mm. it, it is a story talking about grief um, and like PTSD trauma from the perspective of a generation who, as he said it, our parents never explained us anything, right? But what's interesting is not just like, oh, he grew up with this trauma. He's also making a movie that's not just exploring himself as a kid who who saw the assassination attempt happen. But also from the perspective of that whole generation of men above him, they still went through trauma too. What did they call it? You know, how did they hide it? Like, because to them, there was no feelings. There was no discussions. You don't say these things to your kid. They, you just, they observe everything, but you never give them any yeah. explanation. And, you know, he grew up with this. And um, a lot of people were split on this one. Um, there is an element besides what I told you about that trauma aspect where it's it's still a little, it's a crime thriller. Um because the dad is obviously still being uh, hunted down with his family and they ha- kind of have to lay low. But uh, I really like the ending, the way that it gets resolved. Um, in particular, just the relationship that he has with his father. Because <laughs> one of the things in the interviews, they asked him, this movie, you know, was helping you with your PTSD. Did it fulfill that? And he goes, I'll let you know when it comes out on DVD. <laughs> um, but I-, I could see what he was going for there. And I think it was very interesting to... Um, uh, look back on that history of Italy because it was it was wild. It was crazy. And I think this would make mm. a really good um, double feature with I'm Your Woman, to be honest with you, because I think oh. the, the wife in the movie does a lot as well um, because she talked about yeah, like how she the, was really playing his mother. Right, the, the periphery witnesses to crime you know? families and legacies, uh, yeah. There's a lot of long takes too. Like the whole uh, mm. assassination, it's, it's done in a, in a massive long take. I know a lot of people were not a fan of that. A lot of people were like, I need to speak to the camera operator on this one. <laughs> but but I like the flowiness of it. Um, but yeah, oh, there is that oh. one. The Father. All I'm going to say, it's based off of a play, premiered at Sundance. Olivia Coleman. I don't know how. She may have yeah, that's another the thing. one uh, in the books. Most people's reaction to this film has been Anthony Hopkins is going it's, to win yeah, Best Actor. It's already said. You came out of this one t- just raving about Olivia Coleman, which I'm always here to hear raves about Olivia Coleman. So I guess I got to go see The Father now. It, you know, it, it's all you done compared from the, it also a little bit to uh, Still Alice. Yes, because it's, it's a movie that's all done from the perspective of real, real Anthony's character, who's also named Anthony, and how he's yeah. going through dementia. And I think it does it very well. Again, it was based off of a play, um, and it's the same director who adapted it. So he's got all those little you know, uh, production stuff that he put within the play, and w- which is a big standout. The production design in this movie, because it all takes yeah. place in Anthony's loft, his loft that he's had for 30 years. And... Um, as you're seeing everything from his perspective, you know, it really puts you in that state of mind, kind of like Insto Alice, uh, as you're following it through. And while his performance is fantastic, that is nothing without Olivia Coleman. It is nothing without the person who is there taking care of him and the look in her eyes when she's, you know, struggling to still love her father and make sure that he's he's well. I think the performances stand out, but the, that production design was absolutely fantastic. Like, I really loved mm-hmm. noting all the different things that they were doing with um, all the rooms that he was going into. So highly, very interesting, highly recommend this one. Um, uh I don't know if it's going to be streaming anywhere, but I think that they'll still be doing yeah. they'll be doing their uh, 
VOD. I mean, push Sony is putting this one out, so they will probably be trying to get this one in theaters. But you know, it might be one of those that also goes straight on to like uh, premium video on demand or something mm-hmm. like that. I, I'm fairly confident they're trying to give this one an Oscars push, so we'll see it at least before February. It's good. I saw it twice. By February. That's how good it was. <laughs> That's how uh, good it was, Zach. Uh, I rented it I and didn't about- <laughs> watch it. Stupid viewing windows. Oh. Give give me more than four hours to start the movie. How As about so, yeah, that? Just start it and pause it. That's the thing with it. They allow you to like press start and then you get it for its complete 48 hours. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. Because I know each festival keeps updating it with different things on the viewing yeah. windows. But very, it's worth it, Zach. It is worth it. Okay. 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 Top four. All right. Let's get into it. There is no evil. Have you heard anything about this? I don't know if I have. Bruh. This movie comes from a director. Let me make sure I get his name right over here. Who was barred. He went to jail. Prison for an entire year. Because uh, Iran locked him up. His name is Mohammed Rasulov. He His previous oh. film called out the um, Iranian government. So they're like, hey, homie. Uh, you're under. He went to, j- went to prison for a year. He's under house arrest till like who knows when. He is barred from making feature films Ever. This is his new feature film, and I believe it wanted brother. <laughs> <laughs> he got around it by making four shorts, and none of the mm-hmm. shorts, none of the productions had his name on it. This man was walkie-talking it in as well, right? So he was able to direct the four shorts, and he's just making fun of the government at that point. He's like, the government has a really big thing on features. They have a magnifying glass on features. For whatever reason, oh, it's a short, they don't care. And then the fact that it wasn't in his name at all, he was able to make these four short films. Then he combined them to make a feature, submitted it, and now he's winning awards everywhere. Um, The man's back home. It is... It talks about the death penalty. And each film is from a different perspective. Some may connect, not really. Um, But it just... It is scathing, bro. I loved this movie. Uh, some stand out more than others. I, I would say the weakest part of one of the stories is that, sadly, he cast his daughter. No offense to her. Not <laughs> the greatest actress that you could tell. And that's only because you're getting this very heavy material on um, how you know this particular subject affects different Iranians. But um, I thought he did a fantastic job. I know yeah. that it was under different circumstances that he made it this way. But honestly, just the the route of going the short film anthology perspective worked extremely well. Go into this knowing as little as possible. Uh, like, don't even see the trailer because I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what the trailer may say. Um, but just knowing that it's four shorts about that. Great. Just... Yeah. It reminds me of Jafar Panahi, another Iranian director who was barred from making movie? movies and they just kept making them. Uh, but yeah, shouts to them because like I, I could not imagine my government telling me to not make movies and yeah. doing it anyway. He, I mean, he practically said it. He's like, I'm, I'm making propaganda against the system. It's like, you know, he is, he's a G, bro. Like he said yeah. that he originally got this idea when he was at the bank and he saw his interrogator. And he's like, that's my interrogator. And he's right. just taken out alone. Just a regular other person. And he's just, he's just right there. He's just right mm-hmm. there. Um, so it, it says a lot. That's one we can have a full conversation about for sure. So definitely cool. put that one on your radar. Will do. The documentary Finding Ying Ying is one where it Ooh. brought me to tears in a degree that I haven't since Dear 
Zachary. <sighs> Them big words. Is that I know those finding are big Zachary words. is I know those are maybe big the words. most depressing movie I've ever seen. Um a lot of it is just a documentation of what happened to Ying Ying, who went uh, to a university here in Illinois. So uh, we, were, Alina was very well versed in the story because obviously it was really big news in America, but even more so obviously here uh, in, in Illinois about um, this woman who was kidnapped and, you know, they never found her again. And what's interesting about the documentary, well, it, it is, you know, a retelling of everything that happened, of a crazy story. They do two things. It is done by a uh, classmate of Ying Ying who knew her. And when her mm. parents came over, they knew no English, nothing. Mm. So the movie's doing two things. It takes her diary, and as you can see from the poster, it's reading things because, you know, you don't really have that many videos of Ying Ying, uh, but you have her entire diary, and you see her entire mm. perspective of coming to America and student teaching and the stuff with her family. But this is a movie that is done from the perspective of coming into America as a foreigner and just seeing how we treat people, especially when it comes down to a case. And from that perspective, I was like, it was scary. Because they yeah. come into this country not knowing anything. And just the way that they they shoot it, it's like we are kind of like, um, what was the uh, the doc that won last year? Uh, American Factory. You know? Oh, it, yeah. Just the, the othering of Americans for a change. Oh, they hit that down completely. Like, they're walking around what is suburbia, and you're like, why does this look so scary? Because it's so foreign to them, and you realize we are – we – I don't even know what the word is to what we are to other people as America. Well, there there is no normal, I think, maybe is, like, the right way to talk about it because – it, everybody has their own version of it. And uh, I can imagine that just being such a crazy experience for, for a young woman uh, coming to the country for a person. You know, and as the parents see it and from the perspective of China, how they would have handled this case is completely different mm-hmm. than how the United States handles. And our court system is stupid. I don't know the yeah. word. Um, the ending is infuriating. You can obviously go search this up online. The ending, Zach, is infuriating. And it is an insane story. Uh, the documentary documents it very well. Again, you could search it up online, but uh, I think they do a, a fantastic job at that perspective that they cover of uh, foreigners coming in to our foreign land, practically. Yeah. And uh, yeah, unbelievable. This one also played at Sundance, and uh, I hope it gets a very wide release. And um, yeah, it, it, it's crazy, dude. It's very crazy. Yeah, definitely keeping that on the radar. Top two. You've seen this one. Let's get into it. Technically caught this one, I believe. It was at, uh, not Melbourne. No. Miff? What was Miff? What was the one? Milberg. One night in Miami. Zach, you take it. Oh, okay. Uh, I caught this one at Hamptons Film Festival. Uh, But yeah, it's playing at a bunch of different film festivals. We got here the directorial debut of one Regina King. Uh, And... She she's really knocking it out of the park right from the beginning. Uh, it's a fictional retelling of a night where uh, Black American icons Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown gathered together in the midst of the civil rights movement in the 1960s to discuss their differing philosophies and views on America and and their strategies towards ingratiating themselves into the predominantly white uh, America uh, uh, or like upper class of America uh, and the the differing paths that their uh, search for for civil rights sort of took them on. Uh, 
it's an adaptation of a play by uh, Kemp Powers, uh, and, and I think what you you get that play feeling occasionally in the dialogue between these guys because it's such a a deeply thought out uh, analytical kind of look at how uh, their actions are reflected upon the world, reflected upon America, how uh, being more militant in your approach or being less militant in your approach changes how these white people uh, view them. Uh, and I think selling that with these larger-than-life personalities, you have, uh, I'm going to get all their names here, Kingsley Benadir playing Malcolm X, Eli Gore playing Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali, Aldous Hodge playing Jim Brown and Leslie Odom Jr. as Sam Cooke. Just, just the way they all embody these larger-than-life figures is so uh, perfectly done. Kingsley Benadir is uh, probably my favorite of the cast. Mm -hmm. Just he, he's got this like an incredible likeness to Malcolm X uh, and the way he carries himself and brings a little bit of depth to this personality it is so uh so amazing uh, i was just riveted throughout not only by the discussions of uh black americans place in the 1960s but of of these charismatic performances you know just seeing uh muhammad ali argue with malcolm x about only having vanilla ice cream available it's just kind of like a fun moment uh that you don't think you ex can you, you don't think you'd get that kind of insight to normally on these very famous people uh it's shot beautifully it's costumed beautifully i i, I was really taken back by this one uh, especially uh just the the detail that goes into these small moments throughout i really thought this was an excellent movie what was your takeaway incredible uh regina king yeah. i'd actually i remember we had seen an episode of insecure we were like damn that was a really good episode and then you know it's like it, it ends on the beat drop and then it goes directed by regina king and we went what mm -hmm. <laughs> simultaneously uh so to see her uh, feature just knock it out of the park you had told me this was based off of a play so i knew that going into it and even then you know i i'm, I'm always really big i'm like i could tell this is a play uh, a lot of adaptations you could still feel the staginess of it and while this all takes place in one room i thought she did a fantastic job job uh, with the cinematography, with the cutaways. Uh, you had even mentioned a lot of visual homages that she does to paintings that mm -hmm. just are. They're outstanding. They're, they're images in their own there's right, a, literally. <laughs> there's a couple shots that reference famous Muhammad Ali photographs that I, I got out of my chair. I was so excited by. It's one that you wish you could have seen in a theater. You know, you want to see this yes. uh, up on the big screen as well. And especially because of the performances. I don't see how this doesn't take, like, best ensemble. You know, not just mm -hmm. from the fact that you have, you know, as you stated with the story, four legends <laughs> in, in a room, which is more than enough. Um, but they knock it out of the park. You're right. Kingsley, yeah. who plays Malcolm X, is fantastic. But Leslie Odom Jr., Sam I Cooke mean, singing like I, Sam Cooke as well. I mean, well, it's Leslie, you know? <laughs> yeah. Aaron Burr, sir. But the arguments that they have with each other, which obviously is like the meat of the movie when they're arguing in that room, um, the one between Malcolm and Sam Cooke was fantastic. And then just the follow-up, uh, I believe, it wasn't Malcolm. It was uh, Jim who has the conversation with Malcolm about, uh, you know, just how to approach things, right? Because mm -hmm. Muhammad Ali gives a, a specific line where he's talking about, is like, we have to move differently, not just as black men, but that, you know, all the eyes that are on us as black men. Mm -hmm. um, and at that period in time, you know, this is not a period in time where you just tweet out something. This is a period in time where 
you need cameras and a presence of people to be there. And they were, Mm -hmm. you know, they had that power, that ability to show up somewhere and the cameras would appear for them. And that's how you get that message out into the world. Um, Just absolutely. And those discussions, those discussions have resonance now because it's not, it's not about specifically uh, what life was like in the sixties, but it's more like how black Americans think about carrying themselves and think about uh, ingratiating themselves into the, the rest of the world in ways that, you know, I think we still argue about these different philosophies towards civil rights advancements. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just to hear it put into the mouths of these very interesting people who we should also mention are at very interesting points of their career uh, yes. in this movie. For, so for example, so well. uh, the reason I called uh, Eli Gore Cassius Clay, that's what he's uh, credited as in the movie. That movie yeah. This is the this is the period where he's deciding to take on that new name of Muhammad Ali. Uh, so there, there's a lot of... Uh, it, there's a lot of catching these well-known figures at moments of transition that's really, really compelling uh, and really compellingly done. I, I, I'm very eager to catch this one again. Me too. Uh, very excited for yeah. it. Totally. All right. So that great movie was not your top nope. from Chicago. It was so not. I gotta go. What What's the best movie? Well, I gotta, I gotta, sp- I gotta sprinkle in some shorts first. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, I'm blanking on his name. Zach Woods. Do you know Zach Woods? Yeah, yeah. He directed a short Zach with Will Ferrell, right? With Will Ferrell as the therapist, and then um, what's his name from The Good Place? Ted Danson? No, 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 no. Uh, her roommate, the one who's Chidi? like Cheaty. I don't know his real name, but William Jackson Harper. I love they, him. <laughs> he goes to a therapy session with him, and it is the most absurd thing I've ever seen. <laughs> in a short and the ending had me dying laughing zach and it was the credits oh man that's it um one to have on your radar it's a ridiculous uh short about therapy i guess best way to put it um but there was a lot of uh really good dramatic ones step into the river was uh, uh animation short animation about how china's one child policy affected you know a lot of children but it's from the perspective of the children like kind of seeing the ghosts Hmm. of their siblings and such patois actually won uh the award at chicago and i thought that was really interesting because it's a young jamaican girl who's you know coming into america trying to integrate and it's embarrassing when everyone's coming in with their american dishes but your mom comes in with the jamaican dish and as kids the first thing the other kids do is go "Ooh, what's that weird food and i thought that was such a you know very well directed um, and realized like short story of a young girl coming in and like, you know, uh, almost feeling ashamed of her culture, but like learning not to. I thought it was very well done. Um, how to disappear is a story of how you can't be a deserter in a video game when you're playing a war game. And what does that say? Interesting. You can't be a deserter. You can't choose not to do a mission. Yeah. And it's a, it's a 20 minute breakdown of that. And that's all I'm going to say. They get into, they get into stuff is all I'm going to say. Uh, and, and that perspective of why they do that, that limiting options, um, and stuff, uh, all it's doing is re- replacing like that perspective and, and telling you that you live in a world where war doesn't have deserters when that is not in fact the case, the fabric of you though is a story of two mice Hmm. and the history that they have together. And it's like a love story that I really want you to check out because there is no dialogue. And I feel it says 10,000 words. That was my favorite short Hmm. out of the festival. It was 
fantastic, very great um, cinematography and such. But City Surreal, I think, was the best thing that I have seen um, right. out of the festivals so far. It is unfair to not mention that it is five hours long. Yes. Uh, this is a, I think, five-part series, yes. technically. Technically. Uh, but you can sit down and watch it from start to finish. Uh, this is the boy Steve James directing it, uh, of course, famously of Hoop Dreams. Uh, but something that we've talked about uh, that's really cool about this this documentary, uh, it premiered at Sundance and it was only four parts long back then. Yes, that's Steve what Steve James went back into production. <sighs> that's what made this it. year because because I don't know if you know, things changed in 2020. Something happened earlier this year. Um it's that fifth episode that makes it a five out of five. Oof. Okay. He... So, so tell me a little more about it. What, what is this series? What is it? Now, it's interesting because there's this one that covers Chicago, right? But then there's also City mm-hmm. Hall, which is covering Boston. The I'm Frederick ver- Wiseman one, yeah. I've never been so excited to sit down with another 271-minute movie, Zach. Um, but no, City Surreal, like we said, is four episodes before coming back for the fifth. And each uh, one of the first four is taking place in early 2019 and where he is literally covering all of the uh, candidates for mayor. And while that may seem like really boring and it's five hours, trust me, this is the epitome of documentary filmmaking and even more so putting you in Chicago. The uh, perspective that that he goes through which each with each candidate also reflects on all of the people who are voting for them. So you're kind of getting a different piece of Chicago everywhere. The way that the documentary is broke down is that he's got like this little map at the bottom like a video game and it's all broken up with the districts and the counties and he pretty much goes to every single place in Chicago throughout the throughout the series and he's giving you a look at uh, what it's like over here on the north side what it's like on the south side the gentrification that's happening on the west side uh, through Pilsen and the stockyards that they want to build um, the police violence that was happening and the way that he's able to reflect on all of these either bringing people back especially in that fifth episode when it's been a year mm-hmm. and you're like okay what is he gonna do he killed it, bro. He comes back with just regular people who he interviewed. Because, again, you would think, oh, it's the big mayors. It's the big... Now, nah, it's the mm-hmm. day-to-day people that he sees. It's the Lyft driver in uh, onesie pajama who really speaks to you. You know, it's the barber who's having the argument. Uh, <laughs> it's superheated argument with somebody to the point that they're calling each other house slaves. And then they're cutting each other's hair. Um, the way he's able to still find all those people in that fifth episode and everything that happened... Um, you know, because because it's in that fifth episode, he covers not just Corona, he covers the riots, he covers you know uh, all of the protests that were happening, and I thought he did a fantastic job at really just putting you into the shoes of um, not just Chicago from like the, your most regular you know Chicagoist here. He's in he's with Mayor Daly. He's with you know people who are in the seventy something floor just. Having their dinners, saying things, completely forgetting the cameras on. He's at other barbershops. They completely, they don't even care. They say, "Yo, the cameras on." I don't care. Okay, I think it gives you a full out uh, look at Chicago. I thought it was a fantastic breakdown. I am looking forward to episode six, episode seven. Give me as many. I thought he did a fantastic job with it. I'm, I, I want more people to watch it. Um, because I. I I think it's a masterpiece. I don't know how else to put it. I, th- I think it was very well done. Yeah. I'm I'm going to have to catch up with this one so we can talk about it a little bit more because you, you've just been nothing but raving about it. Uh, and 
yeah, I mean, I'm I know better than to doubt Steve James with a series. You like know, this. Uh, yeah. And I think episode I'm, one I'm is out already. Episode one started okay, releasing cool. already, so uh, they're gonna be rolling out, and I, I, it's a really great look at the city. What uh, what channel is it supposed to be on? Is it? I believe National Geographic. Yeah, National Geographic. So whatever streaming service okay. would have National Geographic. I always thought it was. Is that Disney Plus? I thought it was Disney Plus. Uh, this cannot be on Disney Plus, <laughs> and I know Disney will put it up there. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. Uh, we'll see where they end All up right. distributing it. Cool. Well, yeah, a, a lot of interesting offerings from the Chicago International Film Fest. Uh, glad to know what your favorites are. I'm definitely going to have to prioritize some stuff like Finding Ying Ying and There Is No Evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it, so hopefully that's a, a big slate of movies for people who have uh, stuff to look forward into in the future or maybe can still catch a film festival and see some of these soon. Uh, I know some of these movies are even going to be out pretty soon, so Mm -hmm. we'll probably be talking about them again when they're more publicly available. But yeah, uh, I think that's a it's fun to get a chance to talk about all these movies, even if they're not necessarily out there yet. Mm hmm. Uh, especially because, you know, we've been doing the uh, LME streams, trying to cover the weekly stuff, but uh, we will have upcoming episodes here on Intercut for Philly Fest. That's still going on. Mm-hmm. I think I've seen even more at Philly than I've seen right. at Chicago. We still have a bunch of the stragglers. Like, I know we did a couple of AFI screenings. I was able to catch up on some mm-hmm. Sundance stuff. Um, Indie Memphis Fest was also a, a really enjoyable fest to go to as well. So, uh, And then we've been getting a lot yeah, of screeners other- here and there. Any other stragglers you want to throw in, throw in before we wrap this up? I, I will give quick mention to a movie that uh, you caught at Sundance that I finally was able to catch up with at the Middleburg Film Festival, Assassins, which is this incredible story uh, about the two women who were involved in the assassination of Ch- Kim Jong-un's brother, uh, which you may have read about. Uh, how he was assassinated at a airport in Malaysia uh, kind of mysteriously and how these two women thought they were on a prank show uh, and, and the level of detail they get into in order to break down this story, how these women were recruited, how they were trained, how they were manipulated into thinking uh, they were doing something harmless when in fact they were covering this guy's face in a nerve agent that left him dead within an hour is just incredible to watch uh the the level of reporting here is off the charts and access to just getting interviews with every interesting person uh there's there's an awesome sequence in this movie where people are talking about oh we wish we could find the taxi driver but no one has been able to find the taxi driver cut to (laughs) the taxi driver uh it's it's a really really well done documentary uh I'm surprised someplace like Netflix hasn't jumped all over. You this know, uh, and it was interesting, the making of that movie, because uh, I don't know who directed it. I don't know his name off the top. But I think he had done The Keepers, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, right? he did The Keepers. Um, and when they were making this, like you said, because he's actually there documenting, you know, he's not going back. He was there throughout the entire thing. He was like in contact with Sundance about releasing a version of the film if uh, the ending was different. So, like, right. they were going to... Uh, they were like live with it. They had no idea how it was going to wrap up and not, um, but they were willing to send it to Sundance as uh, something to get the word out there. And I still think regardless of what the ending is, that this is a crazy story that there is, there's still a lot to unpack. I'll put it that way. 
but I'm glad you yeah, like that one. Did yeah. you see the poster for it? The poster is wild. <laughs> the poster is dope. Yeah, yes. I just am looking at it right now. You know, uh, and the director is Ryan White, by the way. Fantastic job with it. I, I would add two other yeah. um, docs just to mention over here. I was able to catch Coded Bias and Whirly Bird. Absolutely loved right. both of them. I thought they were both uh, very well done. Coded Bias being one that's been on my list for such a long time um, because it, it covers just how all these algorithms that we're creating, you know, you can say that there is no bias through the algorithm, but there is, depending on who's creating the algorithm, you are setting it to be what it is mm-hmm. um, and how certain things don't capture certain skin tones or just the way that it, it, it records things and such. And I thought it was a very interesting breakdown. There's been a lot of, you know, tech movies that have come out. Netflix had, uh, yeah. what is it, The Social and also Dilemma? New, just news stories talking about the ways in which, you know, the Twitter algorithm isn't necessarily as oh, altruistic we've as we like yeah. to believe. You With know? the Obama-McConnell uh, so- thing? Yeah, yeah, just uh, what what will Twitter crop out of a photo or whatever? That was done Things wrong. beyond that, too. Yeah. Uh, you know, just because, like, a computer is the one making the decisions you, doesn't mean a computer is going to be objective. Uh, yeah, Coded Bias actually is going to be available in virtual cinemas on November 11th, so Worth that it. one's going to be publicly available fairly soon. Mm-hmm. And Whirly Bird was fantastic because it covers these two reporters who uh, were in the L.A. scene. They were, like, the OG nightcrawler trying to get there on the scene to be able to report this stuff and i think it's just a great like you know um relationship movie family drama um but at the same time just like how he went about like all right we have this now let's try to get the copter so that we're even first on the scene and and how they created this entire environment of action news um and then you know business business becomes business uh but that family drama aspect of it, it there was a very interesting interview at afi because the daughter um she just she was the one hosting it, and she just straight up called out the director. She was like, "So why did you decide to show my parents in this light?" And uh, <laughs> great Q and A as well. But you know, without having yeah. a director who's unbiased and obviously is going to touch some of the very, you know, it wasn't just all the camera footage that they have stored in a locker. It's also all the home family footage that they have, and it's how he just went through all of it and created this narrative. It's very personal. Very, very, very personal. But that's also what makes it such an intriguing documentary. Um, And I would highly recommend it. Awesome. Awesome. A lot of really interesting movies on the horizon. I hope you all get to watch them soon. If you are an intercutie who has seen them, please let us know. Leave us a comment. Shoot us an email. The the address for that is intercutpot at gmail.com. You can also leave us some questions or email them to us and get them featured on the next show and reach out to us at intercut pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all those work. Uh, very curious to hear from some of you. Uh, Art, should we wrap this up with some picks for the week stuff that people definitely can watch right now and maybe should for sure. I know you had a series, so I don't know if you want to start with the series you were able to catch. Yeah. I'll, I'll I'll start us off by saying that I really, really dug the Queen's Gambit. Uh, this is a new show on Netflix, a limited series that's, I believe, only seven episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it stars Anya Taylor-Joy as this chess prodigy. Uh, she She's a, a young woman orphaned in Kentucky in the 1960s who... Uh, is taught chess at a young age and starts wiping the floor with older men. I mean, I think there's certain, there's a certain aspect of the show that's just fun to watch like a little girl being 
so much better at chess than all these uh, older dudes. Yeah. But there's also like a, a like a fun briskness to the show uh, in the the way that it's paced. It quickly moves through these scenes. It's got this very stylistic energy, uh, very beautifully shot. Uh, it, the series is written and directed by Scott Frank, who is a writer I like quite a bit. He's previously directed some films like uh, The Lookout, but also is the guy who wrote Out of Sight. He wrote Minority Report. He wrote Logan more recently. So a very reputable writer, but mostly I think this is just a great showcase for how charismatic Anya Taylor-Joy is here. Like she kind of makes these chess matches like very sexy in a way. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just the the back and forth is is so alluring and and interesting. Uh, Plus, she's got these sort of issues with uh, her own trauma and her use of uh, her her use of drugs and uh, use of alcohol in order to help her mind free uh, fully explore the possibilities of chess. I don't know, man. I was really into this show. I, I just I, I dug it the whole way through uh, and kept wanting to watch more. So I'm, I'm curious to see what other people think of that one. It's definitely a high recommendation from me. Awesome. Sounds good. Um, yeah, there's a bunch of streaming stuff that has come out already. I know like uh, Bad Hair is now on Hulu to catch. Uh, I haven't been yep. able to see... Talk what they fixed up there. Sundance. Yeah. Um, I know everyone's talking about the Borat movie. Uh, and even tr- they're saying they're going to push it for Oscars yeah. and stuff. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Um, I think we have to talk about that a little bit in more in depth in a future episode. Yeah, for sure. We'll, we'll make it something. We both recommend it. Yeah. Um, and then finally, uh, I'll, I'll give one that I'm anticipating because I, I missed it back at Sundance. But his house has been getting pretty great reviews. So that's one that I definitely have yeah. on my radar to catch this Halloween. Just popped up on Netflix. Yes, sir. Uh, very curious about that one. I'll also give a quick shout out to uh, I enjoyed Synchronic, which is apparently in some theaters yeah, right now. The I did new see one that. from uh, what's his name, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. Aaron Moorhead, like yep. Uh, yeah, they, they're all they always make these kind of scrappy, lower budget sci-fi thrillers, and I, I kind of dug this one. Anthony Mackie, you know, traveling through time to fix the timeline or whatever. It's kind of fun in points. Uh, also, like another movie that's like maybe not amazing but just a enjoyable enough hang i dug qb halloween man adam sandler like he's very hit or miss this one was like just silly enough for me i i, I like i sometimes like silly voice sandler and as stupid as many of the gags are in this i i kind of it, it's sweet enough it's not it, it's less vulgar and more endearing to me uh so i'll give qb halloween a shout out and then the the actual best movie that i'm recommending uh, from this crop is David Byrne's American Utopia, mm. the filmed concert, which is now on HBO Max. Of course, this one's directed by Spike Lee, so you get some of that Spike Lee directorial flair. Uh, he, he uh, But David Byrne is this amazing showman. Of course, he's the guy who is the lead of Talking Heads, who are the the band that were the stars of the most iconic concert film of all time and stop making sense. So it's interesting to see uh, David uh, uh, Spike Lee uh, take his shot at filming David Byrne uh, and all the, uh, the stage work that goes into uh, that show, that Broadway production of David Byrne's American Utopia. Uh, There's a really amazing sequence towards the end of it where he covers Janelle Monae's Hell You Tall About, which uh, I think you could definitely see Spike Lee's influence in that. But it's just a striking show with good music and good performances. So uh, it's a good hang. I I would definitely check out uh, American Utopia on HBO Max. 
But yeah, I think that's about all for this week's show. Catch more from me, Zach Shevich, by following me on Twitter, Instagram, or Letterboxd, at Zshevich. That's Z-S-H-E-V-I-C-H. Art, where can people find more from you? You can find me at LME Explain over on Twitter, Facebook, uh, YouTube, or you can catch me every week here on the Intercut Podcast. You can listen to every episode of the Intercut Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher, I Like Overcast. And then make sure you're listening, not just listening, but watching us on our YouTube feed, youtube.com slash intercutpod, where you can catch our bright, smiling faces as we run through the latest in entertainment. Find new episodes of Intercut every Friday. We're, this one's coming out a little bit late because we're trying to get all these festival picks in, but we're going to try and keep up every Friday and maybe give you some extra ones as we, we head into this late period in the year uh please leave us a comment like the video and consider heading over to itunes to give us that much requested much desired five star review uh shout out to our listeners who've done that so far like our facebook instagram and twitter pages all of them are at intercut pod to get updates throughout the week from art from me from all the guests that we feature here on intercut thanks again for tuning in and until next time bishop takes queen do you want to play chess do you like I've, chess? I'm not that good at chess. <laughs>